Welcome. Okay. We have a lot to talk about tonight, and we're going to start with the practical and then go Kabbalistic if there's time. So there is, within this week's Torah portion, which is called Kisavo, there is one of the greatest lessons for life. And when I say greatest lesson for life, I mean greatest lessons for life. You don't have to be spiritual or Kabbalistic to get this lesson. You have to be a human being suffering through the regular stuff that human beings suffer through. And I spent the day today seeing therapy clients uh, for a few hours today, and all of them need this, but not just all of them, all of us, and not just all of you guys, but me also. I need to learn this lesson just as much as you do. So let's, let's learn it, okay? And the question is, what is the secret to happiness? Let's start with you guys. What do you guys say? I like that, Kate. I like that one. Lowering expectations. I think that's really good, actually. Um, all right. Let's see if that fits in. But, you know, you don't want to lower your expectations too much. You want to shoot high. You want to shoot for the stars. But just don't get down when you don't reach the stars. All right. So anyone else have any suggestions for the secret of happiness? So is happiness a Jewish thing? What do you guys think? Yay or nay? 100%. Matt says it's 100% a Jewish thing. Let me tell you someone who doesn't think it's a Jewish thing. Okay, you ready? So some of you might have heard me say this story before, but I'm not sure if any of you guys were there. So uh, every year I give a class on 420 called Weed and Judaism, or uh, I think it's called uh, Getting High. Getting High. And I start the class off with a, uh, an article that I read many years ago in National Geographic called Weed. There was an article of probably about five, six years ago in National Geographic about mar medicinal marijuana right before they started coming out with it, legalizing it and everything. And, uh, and they talked about like basically the science behind marijuana. And of course, what country is at the forefront of researching mer medical marijuana and its properties? Any guesses? Israel, of course. The Jews are at the forefront of everything, especially in even drugs. Okay, so the doctor, the professor who has been researching cannabis and, uh, uh, and the uh, hallucinogenic properties of marijuana is an Israeli scientist by the name of Dr. Meshulam. He's a, uh, I, think, I think he's uh, Greek or Tunisian. He's some, from some Sephardic country, and he, Dr. Mishulam writes in this paper that he named the receptor in the brain that picks up the TLC is called anandahyde. Ever heard of that? It's a receptor in the brain, and it's named after the word ananda, which is the Sanskrit Hindu word for supreme joy. So I'm reading that, and I am thinking a question, and just before I think my question, National Geographic already answered and asked my question. They said, well, what's the obvious question to ask this Israeli, very Jewish professor about the name Anandahide, which means supreme joy in Sanskrit? He did. So what's an obvious question to ask him? Exactly. Why does he need a, an, an Eastern religious term 
for joy. Why doesn't he use a Jewish term for joy, a Hebrew term for joy? So National Geographic asked him my question. And you know what he answered? He said, there aren't a lot of words for joy in Hebrew. Jews don't like being happy. Now, that might sound like a cute, you know, like shoot yourself in the foot, tongue-in-cheek, like self-deprecating Jewish humor. But he, I think, unfortunately really believed that. And so I wrote a letter to the editor of National Geographic. I do not know if they ever published it. To my knowledge, they didn't. And that letter was turned into an H.com article called Marijuana and Jewish Joy. Great article. Check it out um, that I wrote. So he answered, there are not a lot of words in Hebrew for joy. Jews don't like being happy. Now, that is ridiculous. So I wrote the letter to the editor, starting with, Dr. Meshulam might know a lot about science, but he doesn't know a lot about Judaism or ancient Hebrew. Because in reality, it's brought down in a lot of uh, sources, Jewish sources, that you can tell a lot about a culture by their language. For example, the Bedouins who live in the desert in, in Israel in the Middle East. Well, what are they experts in? What is their whole life surrounded by? Sand. So the Bedouins have 10 different words in their language for sand. Different types of sand. Wet sand, hard sand, dry sand, small sand, hard sand, right? 10 different words for sand. The Eskimos, on the other hand, what are they experts in? Snow. Eskimos are experts in snow. So in the Inuit language, they have 10 different words for snow. All those types of snows. You got the hard snow and the soft snow and the icy snow. and right. So Hebrew, what are Jews experts in? I'll give you a hint. There are 10 words in Hebrew for joy. 10 words. So Jews, if you're going to be a Jew, you got to become a connoisseur in happiness. Because it is the focal point of our culture and our lifestyle. is celebrating joy. One of the most depressing statistics is that if you ask your average American Jew what comes to mind when you think about Jews... Or Judaism, do you know what they say? Average American, number one thing that comes to mind when you think about Jews or Judaism? You know what they say? What do you think? Fasting? No. A lot of them don't know about those. Alcohol? Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, it has been, actually, it was believed for many, many years that the reason there were not as many Jewish alcoholics as in other cultures is because we use alcohol responsibly as part of our religious ceremonies. Right, you get a bris, you get drink, drink something, get a bar mitzvah, you drink something, a wedding, you drink something on Shabbos every week, you drink something. But uh, that, that's not it, that's not either. They didn't know about that. Bagels, that's I would have guessed bagels, but no, it wasn't, wasn't bagels. You know what they said? You ready? The Holocaust, you knew it, right? How, how, dep how depressing is that? The number one thing that comes to mind when we think about Jews is death and destruction and suffering. That's not Jewish. That's not Jewish. We don't believe in wallowing. We believe in building. We believe in finding life after death, life after darkness and destruction, rebuilding. And that's how the Jews got out of a Holocaust and went on to build the state of Israel 
and to become incredibly successful throughout the world. So we believe in constantly growing and looking for the positive, the silver lining. So this week's Parsha starts with a mitzvah, which is a very interesting mitzvah. The mitzvah is that when a farmer in the land of Israel plants his crop and he comes down to his field one fine spring day and he sees the first fruit growing on the tree. There is a mitzvah to take that fruit, put a string around it so you know which one it was. And once that fruit is mature, you take it and you go down to Jerusalem and you give that fruit in the temple as a sacrifice. Now, we're used to there are different sacrifices that we brought to the temple. Most of them involved animals. Some involved flour and uh, some wine. But this is very unique. Fruit, a fruit offering in the temple. and was placed on the, on the altar. But not only was it interesting that they brought this fruit basket, but the Talmud explains in depth how it was the greatest celebration of the year. When the Jews would come from the north of Israel, they would come in mass with their first fruits. All the farmers would come down with their baskets of fruit, and they would parade through the streets with music, and they would adorn animals with all sorts of jewelry and walk through the streets singing music and chanting and singing and arrive in Jerusalem. And it was a huge, huge, huge deal. And the question is why? And to make the question even stronger, the Talmud says something crazy. Okay, These first fruits are called bikurim which means the first ripening, the early fruits, but they're also called reishis. The Torah calls it mereishis kol pri, from the first of your fruit, pri ha'adama, of the fruit of the ground. And the word reishis means in the beginning or the beginning. And the, does anyone know the first word in the Torah? Bereishis, in the beginning, same word. And the Talmud says, why was the world created? For one reason, so that the Jews can bring their first fruits to the temple. What in the world of all the things and all the reasons that the world was created? Why in the world? What does it have to do with bringing your first fruit to the temple? Come on. Why is this mitzvah so foundational that the entire world was created for the sake of these first fruits? Anyone? Ah, Rover. Rover makes you thankful. So Rashi on the spot tells us that one of the primary reasons for this mitzvah is that we should not be ungrateful. And how does that first fruit teach you that? You're bringing it back to God because, you know, you know, you ever seen a restaurant where they hang that like first hundred dollar bill on the wall? That first hundred dollars, Brover, did you do that when you made your first uh, stack? Yeah, you have that hundred dollar bill or is it a thousand dollar bill? It's in the safe. Wow, he laminated it. <laughs> so that that first hundred dollars, that is, it means so much to you. And yet we have a tendency to think something. What do you tend towards thinking when you make that first deal, when you land that big one when you get your first job ah Jaylene, and it says that were you quoting the torah when you said your own strength it actually says that in the torah 
So it says, through our own strength and the power of our hands did we, did we accumulate this, this wealth. We have a tendency to think when we succeed, you know what we think? I did it. I'm on top of the world. I'm the man. I can do anything. And while it's not a bad thing to think about your strengths and your talents and to be proud and to recognize the goodness inside yourself, we have to first give thanks to the one who gave us those talents. And that's, that's what Rashi tells us. The beginning of the part, the purpose of this mitzvah is that we should learn to be grateful, to engender the number one Jewish trait, which is, what does it mean to be a Jew? Literally? Oh, well, that, that's a good guess, Matt. What does it mean to be a Jew? How do you say Jew in Hebrew? Yehudi, Yehudi, Yehudi comes from the name Yehuda, Judah, right? We're not really Jews. I'm not a Jew. Did you know that? I'm not a Jew. I am not Jewish. I'm not. I'm not from the tribe of Yehuda. Yehuda. I'm from the tribe of Levi. I'm a Levi. You guys might be Jews. I'm not a Jew, right? Yehuda is the name of one of the tribes. Why are Jews called Yehudim? Because there was a time in history where 10 of the tribes were, were dispersed around the nations of the world. Some say they went to Afghanistan, believe it or not. Could be our brothers over there in the Taliban, which might explain why they're so successful. Um, but uh, some say Zimbabwe, Nigeria, Japan. We don't know what happened to the 10 tribes of Israel. They're lost. But three tribes remained in Jerusalem, the tribe of Judah, Yehuda, the tribe of Levi, the Leviim and the Kohanim, and some of the tribe of Benjamin. So most Jews nowadays are descended from the tribe of Yehuda, which is why we're called Yehudim. But many people point out that there's really more meaning to it because what does Judah mean? What does Yehuda mean? It comes from the word Hoda, which is just a conjugate of the word Toda for anyone who's been to Hebrew. Not Toga. Toda means thank you, Thanksgiving. So a Yehudi is literally one who gives thanks. That is the essence of what it means to be a Jew, to live with an attitude of gratitude. Okay? So now, let's, let's continue into the Parsha. Now, this week's Parsha is one of two Parshas in the Torah, which includes curses. Terrible, terrible curses, which will come upon the Jewish people at certain times in our history of being kicked out of our land, of suffering tremendously, of persecution, anti-Semitism, starvation, murder, pillaging, rape. It's all in here, right? It's quite dramatic. What do you think we have to do to, God forbid, merit these punishments? What do you think these punishments are for in the Torah? What do you think the Torah says? Because you did what? What do you guys say? Oh, brother, you're jumping the gun. No one thinks that because you didn't keep Shabbos. What else? Why was the temple destroyed? Okay.
because we hated each other for no reason. Why else? Matt, why else was the temple destroyed? Or anyone else? Because Jalen, yeah. Not keeping this, well, not just the Sabbath, it says because we didn't keep Shemitah, the sab sabbatical year, because we didn't we didn't rest every seven years from plowing the land, so the land spit us out. Anyone else remember any other reasons the Talmud says? Big ones. What are the big murder, the big, big crimes you could do that would uh, warrant you getting kicked out of land of its murder? What else? What are the big three? Mike, Talmud, think Talmud. Adultery, what else? Believing in other gods, worshiping idols. Okay, those are the those are the big ones. The Talmud says those are the reasons why we get kicked out of the land of Israel. There's only one major problem is that's not what the Torah says. Okay, and of course there's uh, places in the Torah that we can learn out those different ideas and why they're so bad. But in this week's par Torah, Parsha, it does not say those things. It says in this week's Parsha, why will all these things happen to you? Okay, all these curses will come upon you and pursue you. And there will be a sign and a wonder. Oh, so all these curses will fall you, overtake you, and destroy you because you did not listen to God, your God, to observe his commandments. Okay, that's good. We shouldn't, we, because we didn't observe his commandments. They will be a sign and a wonder for you and your children forever. Because, why? Tachas. Asher lo avadata es Hashem elokecha basimcha ubetuv levav merov kol. Because you did not serve Hashem, your God, with joy and with goodness of heart from the abundant goodness in your life. So all bad things happen to us, says the Torah. All these bad things when we don't serve Hashem with happiness, when we're not grateful for the good in our lives. And we don't recognize the creator of everything in the goodness of our life. So why is that? Why do bad things happen to us when we're not grateful? Ah, so we can appreciate the good. Someone once posted on Facebook, one of the most wise things I ever saw. They wrote, Pray, thank God today for all the stuff you have, as if whatever you didn't thank God for today, you won't have tomorrow. Imagine if all the good stuff that you didn't appreciate today will be gone tomorrow. Live your life like that. Recognize that all the good things we have are gifts to enable us to be appreciative. And if we're not appreciative, we lose those gifts. Why? Not as a punishment, as a lesson. As a lesson to learn to be grateful when we have it before we lose it. Then says one of the great Hasidic masters of Poland, the Ger Rebbe, says the secret for never having bad things happen to you in your life is always recognizing the good in your life then you never need to go through the bad when i came out of the hospital after corona 
I was so thankful to breathe. So thankful to be able to walk to the bathroom. Do we take it for granted? Every single day. Says Judaism, you know what? When you come out of the bathroom, you've got to make a blessing. Say, thank you, God, my body works. Do you hear that? Do you hear how revolutionary that is? Every time you go to the bathroom, who here went to the bathroom today? How many people said thank you? Yeah? <laughs> all right. We all went to the bathroom at least twice, right? Did you ever stop and think, oh, my gosh, my body works? Because you know those days when it doesn't, when it doesn't come out right? When too much or too little or you know what I'm talking about, right? Not to be too graphic. We all have those moments, and then we think, gosh, I, this machine isn't working. And yet most of your life, your machine works. Most of your life. Think about it. When your car doesn't work, it sucks, right? You get really, really annoyed when your car doesn't work. Costs money, got to get it fixed, right? Your car, but your car works most of the time. But your car, how long does a car last anyway? 160,000 miles, 200,000 miles if it's a Toyota, right? But you got to get oil changes. You got to pay a lot of money. And what is that? 10 years, 20 years? But your body, 120 years, if you're lucky. At least 80 right? And it works. Most of the time, it works. So we got to say thank you. Start at least when you come out of the bathroom. But says the Talmud, listen to this, says the Talmud, says in, in Psalms, kol hanashama ka. Every soul should say hallelujah, right? It means should praise God. Every soul should praise God. But says the Talmud, the word neshama, you know what the word neshama means? Anyone? Soul, right? But what does it really mean? For you Hebrew experts out there. The word neshama really means, comes from the root word neshima. Neshima, not a Japanese type of sushi. Neshima means breath. Because the soul is the breath of life. It's the breath of God. Says the Talmud, kol ha-neshima ka. With every single breath, you should praise God. Every single breath you breathe. I knew what it was like to not breathe. I had coronavirus. It wasn't fun. I couldn't breathe. Every single breath. Thank you, God. I can breathe. What a gift. This air. Unbelievable. I'm so fortunate to be alive. You know, I might have told you the story. There's a famous rabbi who used to live in Brooklyn. Passed away about maybe 10, 15 years ago, Rabbi Avigdor Miller. And he was his whole life's mission was to point out the beauty of nature and how incredible God's world is. He used to analyze the beauty of an apple and talk about how perfectly designed it was for human consumption. And he used to actually carry around in his pocket apple seeds so he could marvel on the, the incredible wisdom of an apple, that it comes from a little seed, turns into a giant tree. And uh, he one time, someone, his grandson walked into his apartment and he saw his grandfather, Rabbi Miller, with his head in a sink full of water, with his head underwater. And the grandson was getting a little confused, concerned. His father, grandfather didn't take his head out of the sink for a couple of uh, seconds. The clock's ticking. Suddenly, he picks his head up and gasps for air. And he starts breathing. He says, ah, air. 
air. It's so delicious. We're so lucky to breathe. Why did he do that? He said he heard someone earlier that day say that New York City air is disgusting. And he said, how could I let someone talk badly about New York City air? I want to appreciate the air that we breathe. So he stuck his head under the sink to recognize how much of an incredible gift it is to be able to breathe. So these, these lessons are lessons for life. Says the Torah, all the curses will come to you when you don't appreciate the good in your life. So why is it coming in this week's Parsha? Because this week's Parsha teaches us the secret of happiness. The secret of happiness, my friends, and low expectations might be helpful, certainly might be helpful, but better than low expectations is gratitude. Appreciating the gifts, the simple gifts of every single moment of life. If we can truly do that, then we will be happy every moment of our life. Do you know what that means? This is the truth. I said this to one of my clients today. Any moment of your life, are there good things going on? Are there good things to be thankful for every moment of your life? Are there bad things to think about every moment of your life? Sure. There's, we're Jewish. We can find something to complain about every moment. And you see that? It's actually an interesting dichotomy. Our mission is to be grateful. So what's our greatest challenge if our mission is to, to be grateful? And you know what Jews are most famous for throughout human history? Throughout the entire Torah, what are we most famous for? Complaining. So we're people, uh, there's a book about the Yiddish language called Born to Kvetch. Born to Complain. Right? We are great complainers. Why? Because that's our greatest challenge. Because that's our mission. The area where you have the greatest challenge, that is where the greatest growth lies. So we have to learn to focus on those first fruits. To recognize that those successes are gifts. And we are surrounded by fruit. We are surrounded by blessings. We just have to focus and learn to focus on the good, to see the good, to look for the good. Right? That that is our mission. Now, I'll share with you uh, two other ideas related to this. There was a uh, a guy that I know who actually left me a voice note when I was in the hospital. He was such an inspiration. This guy. One day, he, he lives in uh, L.A. His name is Barry Shore. You can look him up. He's got some uh, great material online. I forgot the name of his website. But uh, one day, he woke up completely paralyzed from the neck down. And through a lot of physical therapy and a lot of swimming, he learned how to walk again. But this guy used to hand out cards that say on it, keep smiling. You ever see these keep smiling cards, these blue cards? So if you call him up and, or send him an email, he'll send you a package of keep smiling cards in the mail. And he'll say, you are an, an ambassador of happiness, an ambassador of joy. Go out and give these cards out to people and remind people to keep smiling, to keep focusing on the good in their life. He said, if I can do it when I was completely paralyzed from the neck down, you can do it too. I don't know if I ever asked you guys this question, but what would you rather have in your life? Okay, imagine if you could have 
one of the following scenarios tomorrow. Would you rather wake up and win the lottery? Or would you rather wake up and be a paraplegic? Anyone? Win the lottery. Win the lottery. Any paraplegics out there? Anyone like to wake up paralyzed from the neck down? So no one ever chooses that one. But I have a question for you. Which will give you more happiness? To win the lottery or to become a paraplegic? Sure. <laughs> Which will give you fewer problems. So we all know the statistic that many lottery win winners end up broke within a few years of having won the lottery. But that's besides the point. Which one will make you happier? Winning the lottery or becoming paralyzed? Well, I'll tell you what psychologists say based on real studies. Psychologists say, neither. You win the lottery, you'll be happy. Become a par paralyzed, you'll become very depressed. But give it a few months. After a few months, the lottery becomes normal. Your life goes back to normal. Being paralyzed, learn how to, walk, learn how to deal with the new reality but your emotional state goes back to normal, goes back to normal. Neither will give you long-term happiness or depression. The only difference is your attitude about the scenario. And statistically speaking, you will go back to whatever your normal attitude was given enough time to get used to the scenario. So neither will bring you long-term happiness or long-term sadness. The scenarios in our life make no difference whatsoever on our emotional state. The only thing that matters is our attitude about the stuff that we have. Jewish recipe for wealth is not money. What's the Jewish recipe for wealth? It says in the Mishnah, Ezehu Asher, who is a, a rich person? Hasamech Bechelcho, someone who's happy with what they have. Get that tattooed on your arm. Don't. But if you were going to get something tattooed on your arm, that would be a good one. Be happy with what you have. Because if you're happy with what you have, then it doesn't matter what you have. And if you're not happy with what you have, then it doesn't matter what you have. You got that? If you're not happy with what you have, you can have everything and you won't be happy with it. If you're happy with what you have, then you don't need everything. But you know what? You'll be happy with the stuff you get. So you're more likely to get more good stuff. Because God says, you're happy with what I gave you? I'll give you more. You're appreciating the life you were given? Let me give you more life. All right? That's one of the reasons why the mitzvah of kivud av'aim, honoring your mother and your father, the reward for honoring your mother and your father, according to the Torah, is long life. Why? So think about it like this. Okay? When we honor our parents, what statement are we making? Why are we obligated to honor our parents? Do you know that if your parents gave birth to you and then put you up for adoption, you never met your biological parents, and then one day you're reunited with them, 
Do you know that according to the Torah, you're obligated to honor them? Can you imagine that? They never did a thing for you. They weren't in your life. They abandoned you. And yet you have an obligation to honor them. Why? Participated in your creation. They're partners in having given you the gift of life. So when you honor your parents who are good for nothing, who've never done a thing for you in your life, but they did one thing for you. They gave you the greatest gift in your life, which is the gift of life. You're saying, I am thankful to be alive. And therefore, I have to show gratitude to my parents. God says, you're thankful to be alive. Let me give you more life. All right, just like it says in the Talmud, another good one. I heard this in the supermarket the other day. I bumped into a uh, super successful millionaire lawyer, right? And he said, I said to him, uh, how's it going? He said, Baruch Hashem, thank God. And he said, do you know why I always say that? I said, why? He said, because the Talmud says that if you ask someone, how's your day going? And you say, eh, it's not so good. So they say in heaven, they say, oh, you think that's not good? Let me show you what not good really is. But if you say, Baruch Hashem, my life is great, thank God. And they say, oh, you think that's good? Let me show you what good really is. You see, it's all about the attitude. If we live a life of gratitude and we appreciate everything in our life, being happy with our portion, that doesn't mean my portion stinks, but I'm happy with it. It means I'm going to really appreciate my portion. I'm going to learn to appreciate the good things in my life. I'm going to learn about it. I'm going to learn about science, about how my body works. I'm going to learn to appreciate the wonders of nature. I'm going to look and try really hard to see those good things and to train my mind to always look at the positive and to enjoy the stuff I have. If you've got a cup of coffee, I tell this, tell this to one of my depressed clients, you have a cup of coffee in the morning? I said, I said, do you have anything good in your life? He said, no, nothing, nothing good. I said, sit down right now, write, write down all the things you can think of that are good in your life. He came up with 13 things. I'm like, that's 13 more things than you thought you had going for you. So I said, so guess what? You have a lot more than that. I said, tomorrow morning, you're going to drink a cup of coffee? Yeah. I said, when you drink that cup of coffee, I want you to meditate on the fact that that cup of coffee is delicious. Be thankful for that cup of coffee. Focus on the good. Learn to appreciate the good in your life. That is how you become a connoisseur of goodness. That is how you live a life of happiness. This is true. This is the greatest lesson for life. The greatest lesson. The number one lesson. If I, if I could sell a magic pill to teach the entire world how to be happy, would I become a billionaire tomorrow? Yes or no? Is there anything else? Yes, I would. Is there anything else anyone else wants? If I could sell you happiness that didn't come with uh, addiction or uh, side effects, would you take it? If I could tell you a secret of happiness tomorrow, would you do it? If I ask anyone in the world, why are you doing what you're doing? What are they going to tell me? Why are you going to work every morning? make money why do you, to survive why do you want to survive because well, you have to why do you have to why do you want to eat you're gonna die so why don't you want to die <laughs> why why does anyone do what they do and the answer is very simple because they believe that that thing is going to bring them happiness and fulfillment right no matter what it is why do you get up out of bed in the morning? Because I have to, because my alarm went off, because I'm going to get fired if I don't go to work. I'm going to fail out of school. My parents are going to kill me. I'm going to get divorced. So, and why why, why don't you want those things? Because it's going to hurt. It's not going to feel good. Avoidance of pain, pain, pursuit of pleasure. That's why we do everything that we do, right? Because we're seeking happiness, fulfillment, meaning, purpose. 
That's what we're looking for, connection. But ultimately, all those things we believe are going to give us happiness. If I could give you happiness right now, would you do any of those things? If I could tell you, you don't have to go to work anymore. You don't have to do anything. I'm just going to give you a pill. Okay? You're going to stay in your house. Take my pill. I promise you infinite happiness. Would you do it? It's the greatest secret. This is what everyone in the world is looking for. Don't do it if it's in a pill form. It's not going to work because you have to acquire it. You have to work for it. Otherwise, you won't really appreciate it. Right? Drugs don't last. But this is the secret that everyone in the world is trying to achieve, which is it's to be happy. And we know where the answer lies, not in what you have, not in the pursuit of happiness, not in getting the right car, the right spouse, the right bank account, the right house. It's in your attitude about what you have, not what you have. So I want to end with one last question, okay? We didn't have to get Kabbalistic to be deep this week, right? This is good stuff. Do you guys get how this is good? This is really good. Next time you eat that apple, say thank you. Next time you come out of the bathroom, not in the bathroom. When you come out of the bathroom, you say thank you, okay? Drink a cup of water, say thank you. See your parents, say thank you. Try it. Try doing it. Twice a day, change your life. When you're feeling uh, depressed, write down on a piece of paper all the good things in your life. See how many you can come up with. Next day, add one more. Try that again the next day. Keep going. There's no end to it. I did it one time for a couple of months. Every night, I wrote a few more things that I was thankful for. I kept writing sushi for some reason. Like every few days, I wrote sushi again because uh, I was doing classes and we had sushi in the classes. I love I love sushi, you know. But uh, okay, so last question, okay? Think about it like this. The Torah tells us that we're obligated to say thank you for what? The first fruits. This week's Parsha, the first fruit that grows in the field from a tree. Farmer has to bring that fruit to Jerusalem to teach us not to be ungrateful. Now, let's think about this for a second. What did the farmer do to produce that fruit? He did some things, right? He he planted the seed. He plowed the field, planted the seed, made sure to weed it, water it, right? And then it took a bunch of years, and then a tree grew out, right? And then eventually that tree made fruit, right? How far away from that fruit is the farmer's actions? Very far, right? The farmer did something like seven years. In fact, according to the Torah, you're not allowed to eat fruit for the first three years. So he, he, for sure, it's been three years before that fruit, that tree is giving forth fruit. So three years ago, he planted a seed. Now, finally, that tree gave forth fruit. Let me ask you a question. The best farmer in the world, does he know how to make a fruit? The best scientist in the world, do they know how to make fruit? Can they make fruit? <laughs> we have no clue. We can't make fruit. Hashem makes fruit. Hashem created a world that, that, through nature, that the fruit is made. So why is the Torah telling us that that farmer has to make sure to say thank you for that fruit so that he doesn't think that he's become arrogant and think, I did it? Why is the Torah telling us by the farmer? What about like when you actually close a deal and make a million bucks? Or when you actually do something with your hands, build a house? Create a piece of art. Play some music. Why is the Torah telling us by the farmer whose fruit took 
at least three years to produce, and he has no nothing to do with the tree making fruit. It makes it on its own. Why is the Torah telling us that specifically that farmer has to give thanks? What about all the other things that we do that are much more connected to our actions? Why? Why is it a good example? Okay, because you did a lot of hard labor. Deserve it, but but who deserves it more? The guy who planted the fruit and then waited three years by chilling on his back porch drinking martinis, and then three years later that fruit pops out, or the guy who like is like literally like plowing away at building a house and then he sells that house and he makes his, you know, who's more likely to forget God? So. So I think the Torah is telling us that if the farmer has to give thanks, all the more so we have to give thanks. All the more so. If the farmer can forget God and his tree is literally giving him fruit, he's literally just sitting there and the fruit's coming out. He doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't know how to make fruit. The guy's a, the guy knows nothing about where fruit come from. He just knows. You put a seed in the ground, you take care of it, you, you plow it, and then the fruit pops out. Right, All the more so us in our lives. And what's the lesson from the farmer? Think about it. The farmer is literally just making room for fruit. He's not making fruit. All he has to do is prevent the weeds from getting in the way and make sure that that tree has room to grow and nurtures that tree. But he doesn't know how to make trees grow. The tree grows on its own. That is the lesson for us to have success in our life. Make room for God to work his magic in your life. Make room for blessings to fall down from heaven into every aspect of your life. How do we do that? By literally just removing the weeds and let the blessing come forth. And that is a lesson for all of us because we think we're the ones making the money. We think I'm the guy that built the house. I'm the guy that closed the deal. The answer is, it was just like a tree. It bloomed into our life. And the only reason we merited that blessing is because we stood out of the way. Because if you try to do it, good luck. And there are those that say that you can trust God in your life and let him be in charge, or you can try to be in charge. Who's better at running the world, you or him? Let, let go and let God and trust that he knows what he's doing. All we have to do is stay out of the way. Do our best to do our best. You like that? You have to do your best to do your best and let God do the rest. All right. So I want to wish you all a beautiful Shabbos and a life of gratitude, of appreciation, of humility, and of seeing the good. And the, the seeing the good, you know where it starts? Where's the first place we got to see the good? inside ourselves you got to start by seeing the good in yourself because just like because just like god created an amazing world he also created incredible people and the one that you know the best is you so you have to start by recognizing all the incredible good that you have within yourself and if you can start by being thankful for that then you'll be thankful for all the rest of the good things in your life like these incredible bundles of joy and happiness that i have in my life 
And uh, wishing you all a good job. Let me just turn off the recording. We can schmooze for a minute. All right, guys, if you enjoyed this recording, please consider uh, reaching out to me to let me know. You can reach me at uh, GavrilHoran at gmail.com. And you can also please spread this podcast around to your friends and consider sponsoring a class. You can make a donation at RageMaryland.com. And we look forward to hearing from you. Please, if you learned something from this, let me know. Always want to hear good things from you.